Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mecha Dragon, a podcast about all the geeky and nerdy stuff you love. Brought to you by Captain Geek and the Dark Nerd. I'm your captain, Will. And I'm your nerd, Jess. You know it. Today, we are talking WandaVision, specifically episode four of, I was going to say season one, but I think this is actually a limited series, so this might be the only season. What? So episode four, which was titled, uh, We Interrupt This Program? Well, Wait a minute. Speaking of interrupting this program, this is only once. Where do you get your information from, sir? Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige. This is important information that must be discussed. Also joining us is the fantastic, the wonderful Mecha Dragon Horror Maven, <laughs> Megan Salinas. The Minguin! Hey, everybody. Thanks for Welcome having me. Welcome back. Yes, it's great to have you back. Uh, I think the last time you were on was the Marvel Star Wars crossover episode that we did. Yes, and uh, that I, I'm just going to say again, in case uh, anybody happened to miss that, that I totally won that pitch. <laughs> you did. <laughs> totally. Totally and utterly and completely. <laughs> Uh, ultimately, at the end, yes. So today we Your have Melissa, of... right, Melissa? <laughs> I do not we... recall this. I'm just going to give a quick uh, summary of the things that we're going to at least attempt to get into in this episode. So we're going to react to and analyze the episode. We're going to talk about where the show could be headed, explain a bit of what's going on to the best of our ability, uh, some Easter eggs, and make some predictions maybe for the wider MCU based on what's happening in the show. We're going to talk about the mystery of Vision and why uh, I think this latest episode has raised more questions that, than it answers. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe point out some clues from the show that seem to indicate, you know, some theories that we might have and talk about some of our favorite characters. So let's get into it, guys. So, uh, you know, we're not bothering uh, for episode four of this uh, limited series on any non-spoiler talk. <laughs> so feel free to spoil away. But uh, I do want to get uh, some quick general impressions of this episode first. So why don't we start with Megan? This episode was fantastic. It is the perfect progression of events. Like this is kind of like the natural extension of what I would want the show to be given the previous three episodes. So I, I loved how much of a fun change of pace it was. I loved the the recurring MCU characters that we got to visit. And I loved a lot of the meta humor, like the seeing MCU characters be in the place of us, the audience, was something that was really fun and made for some really fun dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Jess, what are your quick general impressions? Uh, this almost felt like kind of a behind the scenes episode, you know, because the first three episodes, we've seen kind of the rifts in, you know, the terrors in time and reality. And what we now know is this episode gives us the story behind all those little secret weird moments that we've been wondering about for the first three episodes. And I think it's great how this episode does introduce a whole new slew of wait, characters. Wait, wait, wait. So oh, y- oh, your oh. position is that this episode has revealed many secrets. Is that <laughs> your position? Well, no, what I'm saying is the first three episodes had all those weird moments. Mm-hmm. And this episode shows the story behind those moments. Gotcha. You know, like the helicopter in the bushes and the guy coming up out of the sewers and the voice on the radio, uh, you know, all of that stuff. We get to see the behind the scenes, you know, uh, making of what actually is going on in the real world versus what's going on in WandaVision world. So, yeah, yeah, it's a great Great episode, and we also this ties into Endgame because it starts off with the blip, the post blip, or the what do they call it? There was the blip when everyone went, but they didn't say. I guess the blip technically refers, you know, properly to the five years in between when people were gone. Yeah. So this is like the return, if we want to give it the a return name. of the blip. <laughs> yes, the return of the yes. people who were who were blipped. Yeah. I guess. Uh, Maybe yeah, next, the, M- the MCU will strike back. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, you know, for uh, for me, this was a really great episode. I was very, uh, I guess, tickled that we got to 
go, we got to basically be outside Wanda's, mm-hmm. you know, Westview bubble this entire time in an, you know, in a time period that's concurrent to the first three episodes that we've seen. So like you said, Jess, we get to see the story behind sword sending in the, the drone that became the helicopter and the hazmat suit guy that turned in the beekeeper, which, you know, I was right about that theory. So <laughs> yay me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it was still no Ewoks. <laughs> just, I'm, you're, I'm never going to live that down. <laughs> I lost, I lost one bet. <laughs> it's the only thing I've got, man. <laughs> I hear you. But um, yeah. And, and I loved how they made sword into basically an, a surrogate for the audience because when they're up there drawing on that, you know, writing on that whiteboard and when uh, Darcy's there with them, you know, huddled around the old TV set, watching the show, asking questions like those are the exact questions that we've all been asking ever since, you know, the first episode. Right. Uh, So I, I thought that was really cool. And, you know, when they do that and they ask these questions, they're also acknowledging the the really sort of out there aspects of the plot that also the audience is asking. And so I think that just by acknowledging it, it allows the story to move on. And for us as the audience to kind of just accept it, you know, and kind of really get into the uh, sus- to really suspend our disbelief in the way that we need to. So I just think those little nods kind of help in the suspension of disbelief. Uh, yeah, ironically. I, I think it's it's a genius uh, stroke of writing that they did it like that. So the audience is in the exact same, you know, place of mystery and questioning as the actual, you know, show is unfolding. We're seeing them learn about it at the same time we're learning about it. And I think as far as a writing standpoint, it's, it's genius. It's a genius. And it makes so much sense with regard to the weirdness of the whole situation, which I think is encapsulated well in that moment when Darcy's talking to, I think she's talking to special agent Wu, Jimmy Wu, Who? and they're like watching the TV or whatever. And uh, the, the guy from sword, oh God, what's his name? Arthur or art something, the, the acting director of sword. Right. He comes over and he's like, you know, he's asking questions and she's like, it's so it's a sitcom. And, and Jimmy Woo's like starring two Avengers yeah. <laughs> <The> working theory, <laughs> like like that kind of encapsulates it right there, I think. And they're like, what's happening? And she's like, I don't know. And I don't know. And I don't know. And that's kind of where the, the audience is, too. It's like we don't know nothing. We're all kind of seeing everyone seeing it unfold in real time before us. I I really like, you know, when you take a step back, I really like how this shows just how much um, consuming media, like uh, uh, audiences consuming media has changed and the way we go about Mm. watching shows, you know. Back when the the sitcoms that this uh, show is kind of parroting slash paying homage to, you know, shows were like, I don't want to say mindless entertainment, but you know, you didn't have people deconstructing episodes of I Love Lucy oh, or, yeah. Um, just, yeah. or Bewitched. Like nobody's sitting there going through each episode with a fine tooth comb trying to find log- you know, inconsistencies or clues. Mm-hmm. And I ugh, I hate to say it. Um, Will, no, you understand, out. I hate to say it, <laughs> but I think Lost is kind Ooh. of an instrumental part of how the way we watch television has changed. Definitely. Maybe, maybe it's just because I'm doing a, a podcast on Lost, but like after the, uh, I have to give credit where it's due. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I end up hating the fact that I have to admit this, but Lost really did change the way we watch television. It did. Totally. I mean, yeah. that show, like if you watched it week to week, which I think you probably did, you know, just like I did at the time, like there was so much buzz and everybody was looking for every tiny, teeny, tiny little detail in every episode every week for however many years that was five years. Right. Yeah. And even though even though Lost very much dropped the ball in the mystery department, a lot of other shows that came after it could learn from its mistakes and, you know, figured out how to do a mystery box show. Well, some better. shows learned the right <laughs> some, sh- <Let's> just- <laughs> some, some shows, some shows just kind of made the same mistakes or, or made all entire new ones. But uh, for the shows who get the mystery show 
aspect of that Lost sort of pioneered for the shows that get it right. Those are the shows where audiences are doing exactly what the sword agents are doing here. Mm-hmm. Like, again, you didn't have people doing podcasts about, you know, I Love Lucy back in the day. Maybe they would have done like radio broadcasts of like, hey, water cooler talk of like, hey, did you see that episode last night? But yeah, no, this is the way, especially with the way this show is presented. This is how we watch television shows like this now. Right. We, we we sit down and we're... and having the writers acknowledge it, because like that has to be multiple discussions in the writer's room, right? Like of like, okay, well, what are we going to do with our overall story? And how is the audience going to deconstruct everything as we go along? And so I think it's a fun peek behind the curtain. Absolutely. And, you know, in a sense, everything that was going on in this, well, not everything that was going on in this episode, but just the way that they were watching the show and trying to pick it apart and learn about what was happening and look for details and, and all this is is very much a um it's almost like a metaphor for what you were just describing in terms of how audiences consume tv these days yeah i guess it's less of a less of a peek behind the curtain to see how the the writers are going about um constructing the show and more holding up a mirror (laughs) to us to see how we're watching it yeah but i i think i mean i think it's i think the show is brilliant uh, for for so many reasons. So, but let's let's talk for a minute about the return of a couple familiar MCU characters, shall we? Um, who? <laughs> yes. So there was a special agent Jimmy Woo, who of course uh, we saw in Ant Man and the Wasp, and I thought it was great. I think it's nice to have him in the show because he brings a really fun sort of comedic flavor, I guess, to it. Which, by the way, is a different comedic flavor and tone than all the sitcom stuff that we've been seeing so far. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and it's also kind of nice to see him, like, while his character is consistent, he was kind of the butt of a lot of jokes in Ant-Man and the Wasp because, like, yeah. uh, you know, again, our our point of view character there is Scott. Um which there was a callback to when he meets Monica because he pulls out his card with like a little magic flourish, <laughs> which I thought was super funny. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, it's nice to see him here in his element where he's not the butt of every joke, but he's still the same character. Yes, absolutely. You know, I find that the characters from the Ant-Man franchise tend to become the butts of jokes and tend to look the fool a little bit when they make the transition into like other franchises like Ant-Man in Avengers Endgame was kind of a buffoon, you know, and I kind of wish that he had had like at least a moment where he wasn't a buffoon. I mean, I guess. You know, I mean, I, I think less so in Endgame. Um, I think more, I, I think he played a little bit more like, I don't want to call him the fool, but I, I think he was a little bit more like that like, sort of characterization like in Civil War. Almost. Yeah, exactly. He was a yeah, yeah. American fanboy, um, which I don't hate. I actually really like that characterization. But yeah, exactly. It's like, because the those movies are primarily comedies, bringing them into more serious stories, they become the source of comedic relief. And a lot of times that's at that particular character's expense. Yeah, I just think it's interesting how they uh, they kind of maintain the, the tones of their various, you know, uh, MCU franchises and and the kind of balancing act that they do when they bring things together and, you know, crossover and stuff. I just find that interesting. But I, you know, I was really uh, glad to see that character here to, to do some stuff. Yeah. And he's still and- kind of a dork. Um, like you get the, <laughs> yeah. the softball line and his misinterpretation when Darcy's like, Oh, like, do you want one? And he's like, kids, you don't have thought about it. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but again, so he's still very much again, the same character, but again, we also get to see how competent he is. True. And, and that was, was, that was actually really nice to see too. So speaking of uh, seeing returning characters uh, being competent, of course we we see Darcy. Uh, Yay! And, uh, 
Yeah. And I, I loved it in our, our watch along, Jess, where you were like, finally, she doesn't have to live out of the back of a van. And I, <laughs> yeah. I had to point out that, well, wait, when we first see her, she's, she's in the back, in the of, back a van. of a van. <laughs> <laughs> but I found it really interesting that she was assembled amongst a group of like uh, learned specialists and she identified herself as an astrophysicist. Or that she right, and we discussed, you know, what happened with her over the past five years during the blip. Uh, she didn't get dusted, and she progressed in her career, and she's now a doctor. Or a... well, if you think about, it, she did correct somebody who called her Miss and said Doctor, right? Yeah. And but if you think about it, it's been like 10, 15 years since since yeah, we've seen her one. originally. So she actually had time to take whatever she could have gone you know, from a bachelor's to a doctorate degree. Well, originally she was a poli sci student, right? (laughs) Sorry, what, Megan? She's not an intern anymore. Exactly. She's not an intern. She's a doctor. So I thought that was really cool that she, because you can draw a line, I think, with her character from Thor 1 through the, you know, the other, through the second Thor movie to, um, I guess she was not. Yeah, yeah, to here, because, you know, she was in close contact with Eric Selvig and, uh, Jane Foster, who were, you know, brilliant, you know, scientists, and she was working with them. So it makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm actually I was really heartened to see that she had come that far personally. Right. Yeah. Uh, in the in the intervening time. And it and it totally makes sense. And you know what? You know, she, maybe she wasn't like my favorite character in the MCU or anything, but I always enjoyed her. Uh, in the Thor movies, like she always made me laugh and I'm glad that they're doing something with her, frankly. Yeah, it, like it was really weird. I think I said it during the watch along, but like I didn't think that I'd ever feel nostalgia for Thor the Dark World. But <laughs> right, like exactly. seeing, seeing her again, it, it made me realize how long it had been since we checked in with this character. And I was yeah. just like, oh, my gosh, like. I didn't realize that I missed her. <laughs> She's so fun. And yeah. Kat, Kat Dennings brings a particular charm and humor to the circumstances that I I think is perfectly suited to the MCU. You know, uh, I know a lot of people uh, dislike the MCU for how quippy it can get. But like her quips are just, like I said, very, very charming and fun. And I also think it's appropriate in a way because she came out of sitcoms, the mm-hmm. actress, Kat Dennings. Like, what was the Two Broke Girls? Was that the, her show? Yeah. Uh, that I never watched. Another show with a laugh track. <laughs> with a laugh track, which is why I did not watch it, because I can't stand uh, modern comedies with laugh tracks. And one thing I do love about the MCU, and they even do it in Star Wars, they bring back the original actors to fill that role. So like the last time we saw her was probably Thor dark world, which was, I don't know, 40 I'm not years gonna ago. Recast her. I mean, well, right. But the, they've done it in the past in other movies and franchises, but, but, it, but in it the brings MCU a certain level of consistency with your, world yeah, though. they bring yeah, back yeah. the same actor or actress to, to fill that role. And I, I really like that because, you know, after Thor, the dark world, she was like, probably, well, I used to be in the MCU. And now she's back in it. And I like how they keep that consistency. And you really do get a connection to the characters when they're played by the same actor rather than when they switch them out. Well, I was just going to say, and it also makes me wonder what she's been doing for the past, like, you know, five, six, seven years or whatever, in addition to like getting her doctorate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, this, what yeah. were you going to say, Megan? Uh, kind of along those same lines um, with just how quickly uh, she kind of pieces together what's going on, uh, or at least is able to pick up on the fact that, um, you know, WandaVision is happening. Like she does that in a matter of minutes. Right. And it's really cool seeing her sit down, do her science thing, and, um, you know, put certain pieces of the puzzle together because. I think this scene in particular shows exactly what she's been doing for the past however many years it's been since we've seen her without having to go through a bunch of exposition of like, well, I met Thor and then after that I was inspired and I did this and I did this and then uh, there was another time where the world was almost destroyed and I did this. Like, we see that she's been doing the exact same stuff that she's been 
that she was doing in Thor the Dark World. Like, she's continued down that path. She's been watching a lot of seasons of Ghost Hunters and also (laughs) learning science at the same time. So she puts two together. One last thought on, uh, on this character, Darcy, before we move on. You know, I really enjoy that even though, she, you know, she's got her doctorate and all this stuff now, she still has sort of the same way of like uh, of like um, co- like communicating information, like just in the way that she's, you know, communicating to these people, like in her very sort of quippy, mm. you know, quirky fashion. Like, I really enjoyed that, even when she's giving sort of like scientific ish. Yeah, she's got a fun personality and it's like she's kind of got the dry humor and the sarcastic wit. Well, that's the genius of casting Kat Dennings, you know, in a role like this, yeah. too, I think. Someone get her an intern to get her coffee. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. She needs her coffee. She's like, Still I need some coffee. Hello? Hello? Still <laughs> underappreciated. I, I don't underappreciate you, Darcy. Kat Dennings, whatever. All right. Okay, next. So uh, here, here's a question that I'm going to address to each of you in turn. So first, Megan, what is, uh, coming out of this episode, what is your most burning question? Uh, did we want to talk about uh, the other returning MCU character? No, screw it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah actually, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. So who do you want to talk about? Who's the... Monica. Oh, God, that's right. Monica. Monica Rambeau. We, I mean, which which one was how... that again? <laughs> how dare you? Oh. Monica deserves more respect than that. Because we talked but, about yeah. who, we talked about Darcy, but we haven't talked about Monica yet. Yeah, I mean, we got to see her in, I think, episodes two and three, right, Uh, as Geraldine. And so we've been kind of wondering about, you know, is she... uh, Who is is she she exactly? Yeah. Who is she exactly? Is she undercover? Is she blah, blah, blah? Is she this? So if you have not been following, like, you know, behind the scenes, like, casting notices for the MCU, you might not have known that she's actually Monica Rambeau. But it was definitely fully revealed in this episode. Uh, from the very beginning, I mean, that beginning scene was amazing because not only does it tie into Avengers Endgame, it sets the whole first couple of scenes set the 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 time period of this show, which I think is like three weeks after the blip, because I think that's what he says when she sh- shows up to work at Sword, right? Like her uh, boss says, um, I can't remember that guy's name. Well, it couldn't have been three weeks because the blip. They were no, gone for five it. years. No, three weeks after they come back. Oh, okay. Three weeks that's after. He said, he said, a, yeah, that's what he said the blip, and that's why I said we need a name. Is it the blap, the blup, the bloop? <laughs> There's got to be a name for the beginning and the end. Yeah, he says uh, it's been three weeks, and you're the first agent to come back, and I can't say that I'm surprised. He said something like that, right? So that tells us that it's been like three weeks since – we last saw Wanda at that funeral scene at the end of Endgame. It's been like three weeks, right? Um, it has so, not been very long. Yeah. So, like, what? So, what are your thoughts about Monica in this episode? What did you learn? What do you care about? What stood out to you, Megan? This was devastating. Um, seeing her reconstructed and hearing her mother's voice and Carol's voice. You know, yeah. Lieutenant Trouble. Uh, it and like. It really does feel like we we are picking up with the same character, you know, 30 years later after after we last saw her. And it's just my heart breaks for this poor girl because, you know, she was in the hospital with her mom who who had you know been diagnosed with cancer and was coming out of surgery. And she, and she blipped while she was sleeping in the chair watching over her mom. And she oh. comes back and Maria died three years prior. And uh, but. Yeah, it was because the cancer came back and it was just it's it's so heartbreaking. One, because Maria was great and she deserves better, but at the same time like that's what happens, you know, you when you step away from someone for 30 years, sometimes people don't people don't make it the next time we get to check in. You know, and that's that. another thing too. It's like Maria was probably in bed and she was probably asleep from the medication or just the stress and the the tiredness and stuff and she probably fell asleep with Monica uh, right next to her. And then yeah. she she comes yeah. out. She, she, she comes she out wakes of surgery, up okay. And her daughter's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And then she finds out uh, your daughter has disappeared. No one's seen her. She's like, wait, just what? like half so, of everyone in the universe. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> but she didn't know that at the time. So that's a whole oh, yeah. nother 
layer of just despair. But it is, it is so crazy, the beginning scene, because we see the blip in reverse. And yeah. she's suddenly in this hospital and all these other people are coming, you know, five years later, reappearing where they were. And it's like, oh, that is such a... Well- and it's, heart- scene. it's heartbreaking for, for a number of reasons. One, because, um, you know, she's, she's now lost Maria. And two, like, career-wise, she should be the acting director. Like, she exactly. was in line to take that position. And now not only does somebody less qualified than her have the job, <laughs> but also now she's grounded. And so, like, <laughs> she's, I- Yeah, she's literally grounded by her mother. And I, <laughs> you know, and, as an adult, she's like, "You're grounded." Come on, mom. No, you're grounded. And so ah. It's, it's, it's. Yeah, you you see the frustration and the hurt and um, and all this stuff uh, going on with her. It again, props to the acting in this episode because mm. you see all of those emotions play out with with her. So I I love that we're picking back up with her and I love the way this character is being portrayed. And um it's yeah, it's so good. But I also it also recontextualizes where Carol was at um in Endgame. And I kind of yeah. immediately want to go back and rewatch Endgame. And I don't know if this was really something that factored into Brie Larson's performance, because again, I think her parts were written for Endgame before they filmed Captain Marvel. True. So I think she I, even filmed it before they filmed Captain yeah, Marvel. Yeah. So so I don't know if this really went into her performance, but like the Captain Marvel that we see in Endgame has lost Maria and Monica. Her family. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things where it's like, I really want to go back and rewatch Endgame. Because that I think that explains part of why Captain Marvel is like, yeah, no, I, I don't want to be on Earth right now. There are other people who need me. <laughs> then it gets a big galaxy out there. I'm very busy. <laughs> it's yeah. the, like the, the family that she left behind is gone. Yeah. Because you know, if she would have found out that like Maria was like in deep, shit basically she would have come speeding back to earth like Absolutely. you know it i at least i feel like she definitely would have i mean um unless she was involved in friend. well there was you know there's there's a case to be made that it was really her you know her her partner um but even you know regardless of that i mean really monica and maria were her adopted family yeah exactly um, I, I don't think there's any any way around that and so you know, I think that's also there's also going to be uh, consequences of this and the next Captain Marvel movie, whenever that comes out, hopefully. But uh, yeah, I you know, it was so great to finally see Tiana Paris, the actress's name as Monica Rambeau, as Monica Rambeau, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like as Geraldine, where, you know, she's been co-opted by this like bubble reality or whatever you want to call it in Westview. And that was all fun and everything. But now we actually got some inform- like real information about the character and we got to see where she's really at sort of emotionally uh, and, and things. And I thought it was a really powerful opening to this episode. Yeah. And I, I think it's also going to be interesting because I, I don't have any idea how the rest of the series is going to play out. But it's it's interesting to note that both Monica and Wanda are coming from a place of grief. Um, and I'm yeah, wondering right. if maybe that's not going to be central to both of their character arks and maybe oh, pivotal to really maybe resolving point. what's going on. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right on with that. And that may even become a, a way that Monica can actually reach out to Wanda, you know, through their I mean, they're not grieving about the same person. But they are grieving about. They're still grieving, grieving, and they can connect. Why. They can connect on that because they're, you know, vibrating on that certain frequency. And I think that's a very good point. I'm making some assumptions here about, um, but I think that the show is purposely leading us down that particular path. But you know, Wanda's place of grief is diving into this delusion potentially or or diving into this whatever whatever the actual explanation for her reality warping situation is um you know she's she dove into you know the stage of denial denial, right (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
uh, her powers allow her to 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 delve into denial again and right. we, again we don't know exactly how reality is being bended blah 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 all those caveats to that particular statement right um Normal people can't do that. Sure, no normal people can go into denial, but they says can't you delve, they can't delve into into the the same way that Wanda has done it because people don't have the power to do what she's doing. So and so a lot of people don't get the luxury of being able to stay in a fantasy world with the people that they've lost. Uh, you know, the real world demands that you move on. And that's what poor Monica is having to do. Her mom's been gone for three years and she just has to deal with it. And again, her career moved on without her and she just has to deal with it. And so it's it's going to be interesting seeing this character who has to keep moving forward despite the circumstances versus a character who's chosen to basically keep the world on pause so that she doesn't yeah. have to move on. I think we're going to find by the end of this series, uh, at least end of this season, if there's going to be a second season, that one of the big themes I think is going to be grief. Uh, for for this whole story that's going to, you know, continue to play out for another, you know, like what? Four well, years. it's like I made the reference and text, uh, not during our watch or anything, but I said, oh, it's basically the Baba Duke in the MCU. Because <laughs> I because, love that. No, no, it's true. Because Wanda is in such a state of grief and loss over vision being killed by Thanos in Endgame, I think that's why she's creating this world. And, and it's basically, you know, on the same level of the Babadook where it's her, her biggest enemy is her own mind creating all of this. And oh, look at you liking the Babadook. I do. Like, <laughs> no, you, you are one of the pe people responsible for making me like the Babadook. Because at first I was like, this is stupid. And at the first first two episodes of this show, I was like, come on. Is it really 1950s? Are we really just sitcom? Blah. And now it's we're already six layers deeper into the onion of WandaVision. But it is a really mental you know, an emotional show. So I think it's going to come to, to blows where Wanda has to fight herself because she's creating the reality that's, that she's kind of at war with because she can't, she can't uh, uh, admit what that's she's some stuff that we're going to have to uh, get into uh, with some predictions and theories. But one mm -hmm. more question about Monica before we move on. Did either of you get the sense that there might have been some type of relationship between Monica and what's his face before the blip? Because um, there's that moment where she's like, the, her boss, the acting, um, the acting director guy. Because oh. there's was, that moment. His name that we forget. White, <laughs> his name we forget. White like, Nick Fury. It was like art or so, I don't know. It's but white anyway, Nick Fury with two eyes. Right. But he um he uh there's this moment where he says uh something like, Wow, you, you have an age a day, and she's like, You look old as hell. Just, and they just kind of give each other this look. Like, I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe they were just like friends, you know. But did either of you get like a vibe there? Uh, the, the vibe that I got was more about career frustration. Mm -hmm. Um, because again, he has her job like she was on this path to be the head of sword and now you know because of the blip he has what was rightfully hers you know she was the most qualified he even says it he's like you know the you were the only person for the job but then you were gone and so it fell to me um and so he has her job and it's not like he's just going to stop. He's just going to step down. Right. The, the rightful person right. came back. Well, um, they both, they both have a responsibility and they're both mature. Well, and, and she has been gone for five years right. too. I mean, right. Yeah. So she so, has to, she has to honor the fact that the institution still goes on without her, especially when her mom grounds her. Well, you know, inadvertently, we, <laughs> we we get it when she just walks into the building and her badge no longer works. Mm. Uh, you know, again, the institution has moved on without her as it had to, because that's what happens when people 
die um or vanish the world world keeps turning and um so the it's more the vibe i got was just resentment without having justification for resentment because like she knows that she she knows what's rightfully hers but at the same time she can't resent him well it's almost it's almost resentment but not on a personal level yeah, you know, it's like he resents the state of affairs, but not right. him personally. Yeah, he's she also doesn't like, know him. He doesn't know her. They don't. Well, no, they like know each other. They, they do. Yeah, they know each well, other. Well, yeah, but it's not like the 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 part the roles they're in now are because of something that either of them have done. It's something has happened that neither yeah. of them were in control. Yeah, of. yeah. So <laughs> I'm she's gonna like, quote Paul F. Tompkins here and say, "I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the situation." <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So this is a good segue into sword uh, because, you know, uh, that's where they work. And I, I, you know, I do find that the, the, the full name of the organization interesting, particularly when it says sentient weapon. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that alarm could bells. be alarm bells, <laughs> alarm bells. Exactly. Like to me, it feels like an outgrowth of the Sokovia Accords in the sense that like now there's this shield esque organization that, you know, I feel like the sentient weapon part of its name indicates that it monitors enhanced, you know, superpowered people in the world, in addition to threats from space. That's I hear sentient like. weapon and I, I go, oh, so like an Ultron. <laughs> right, right. Ultron. Oh, it's like, oh, th- this is a gun that's going to decide if it's going to shoot me or not. Hmm. Feels and very mentor men- soldier. Yeah. yeah, and they and they did mention that they're more into like uh, AI and and nanotech and stuff like that now. So I mean, we'll just have to see. They definitely also deal with uh, space stuff because at that facility there was like at least five launch pads that I saw outside. And uh, when they walk by that sign when they're walking through the hallway, like if you pause it there and look, like it's like this way, like it has something like some of the stuff that's written there like indicates that they go into space. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, so, but is there, are there any other uh, things that you caught about sword or questions that you have about sword that you need to, uh, I, I liked that um, when they passed Maria's plaque on the wall, uh, her nickname was Photon. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really sweet. I, yeah. It, and I mean, they also make reference to the fact that um, Monica basically grew up here in this facility. So And that Maria started S.W.O.R.D. Yeah. Like founded it or something, right? So that's kind of a like, and there's a line to be drawn from Captain Marvel to this too, right? right. Like after the event of that movie, Maria doesn't just go back and be like, well, I guess I better like fix up my little, you know, single prop plane again. And that's all I'm going to do with myself. You know, how do you go back from that? I, yeah. And I think it could even potentially tie into, you know, again, knowing that like both Monica and Maria's eyes, you know, were cast upward after Carol left. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that could draw a direct parallel to the end of Far From Home, where we find out that Nick Fury uh, and uh, Maria Hill in that movie haven't actually been Nick Fury and Maria Hill in that movie, and that Nick Fury proper (laughs) is actually hanging out in space somewhere. Um, Yeah. So, you know, that could be a sword station, or it could be like a scroll station that's allied with sword or something like that. Exactly. So. So... Yeah, and that's one thing that makes, uh, you know, predictions and assumptions about what's going to happen in the MCU so difficult because <laughs> they've had a decade and 20, what is it now, 23, 24 plus movies with all sorts of Easter eggs and hints and stuff buried in them that people are still uncovering. And now we have these TV shows and... There's so much stuff that they've already told us that we still have to learn, you know, and that's why the whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need the whiteboard and the red strings and the pins. <laughs> yeah, figure everything out. I've seen I've seen memes of uh, you know you know that like conspiracy meme from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, Sylvia, Pepe, Sylvia. Somebody pasted him in front of the sword board with everybody's picture <laughs> exactly. on it. You know, <laughs> that, was, that was great. Oh, uh, speaking of which. Did you notice that when they put up everybody's picture on that board, when they're trying to identify the people in the town, that the the woman, Agnes, 
she uh, doesn't have her, a driver's license. She doesn't have a driver's license. And there's also Neither Agnes was the old woman from the first. I thought, Do- I thought oh, Dottie. No, they, Agnes- they did identify. They did identify Dottie. But yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Agnes. Uh, doesn't- yeah, but Agnes, uh, Catherine Hahn. Okay, Catherine. Uh, it, so there, you know, there's a lot of speculation that she's a, a an actual witch character from the comics named uh, Agatha Harkness. I think there's a possibility of that. But there's also, as we know from Agatha Harkness, Agnes. Yeah, exactly. But Jimmy Woo also said that you know he originally came out Ooh. there because there's somebody in. Uh, witness protection that's in that town and he was like talking to the people who know that person in real life and they just didn't remember them right so who in the town is in witness protection my money is on herb uh because there's an argument to be made that he is a character named dr herb something crap i forget the last name from the comics who uh is a like a you know like super science uh scientist in the in the marvel universe the dr octopus uh no no he is not Okay. Uh, a man named Herb is not also named uh, Octavius. You never know. Otto. Witness Octavius. protection program, dude. <laughs> True. Herb sounds right. nothing like Otto. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's witness so, protection. So, um, but here, here's the big thing that I really want to get to, guys, which is vision. Like, WTF is going oh. on with vision because, as we know, once Wanda took care of, uh, Monica Rambo in true like supervillain fashion, I might add. Can we can we talk about how this scene like kind of did? I I like I know the show isn't a horror movie, but like can we <laughs> talk about how this show like dipped its toes into horror oh, yeah. on occasion? It's like <laughs> oh, dun, dun. <laughs> it, it sure did. I mean that moment when she turned. First of all, it was super unsettling and creepy when she's dealing with uh, Monica. Like her whole aspect changes, her voice changes, the aspect um, ratio she, changes. Yeah. And we get to see her, her. The, we get to see her powers as they've always appeared in the MCU, uh, mm-hmm. with the red energy swirling in her hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was really creepy. She obviously threw her out of the bubble. Now she didn't kill her, so at least there's that. But she was. scared scary she was getting scary um she was like you're not my friend and now well, you're she threw her through like three houses multiple walls yeah 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 so i mean so that well, was like said, i'm gonna send just... you out to get ice cream bah, 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 bah. no she's like i want you gone from my existence right now but then you see, you know, then she sort of cleans up her mess. So, you know, she on some level is, is uh, consciously understands that, you know, she's got this facade. She's got to cover. She's got to hide the evidence. And then we see, you know, the rest of the scene basically from her point of view, which we saw part of in the previous episode where Vision comes in and he's like, where did Geraldine go? Right. And when she turns around that moment. When well, she sees the, the way they did it, uh, they had him in the background, but it, he was out of he was focus obscured, and yeah. blurry and obscured. But, but like watching it the him, second time, I could see, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's even, not red. He's gray. Yeah, even with it out of focus, there's something not quite right about him in the background. And it's, it's mm-hmm. exactly what you said. It's the fact that his head is not the vibrant red that we <laughs> that were. Yeah, and I didn't it. catch that the first time. But the second time I was like, oh, yeah, that's a little foreshadowing. Then she turns around and he's got the the grayed out white eyes and he's got it's that, that crater in his forehead. Oh, it is. It's terrifying. And even my brother, he's like, oh, my God, the gray vision. He called him Ultron, but he meant Vision. But, uh, you know, it's like, that is terrifying because that's after he got the Vision Stone yanked, or the whatever. The Mind Stone, stone yeah. The Mind Stone yeah. yanked out of his head. He's got that crater in his forehead. And it is just a disturbing... Just, I think... The way they designed the character in that way is just... It's, ugh, it's creepy. I think the most likely explanation for what we saw is that... Wanda was kind of pulled out of the, you know, the, 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 you know, the dreamlike denial of the, of the sitcom sort of moment 
by and, that that interaction she had with Monica where she brought up Ultron and then she made her leave. And so she turns around and like she sees Vision, Vision as he actually is for a moment before that reality sort of reasserts itself. And it seems like his dead body has been like reanimated and like transmogrified. Well, I think uh, what it was but, was she kind of was in denial about what really happened. And the whole thing with Monica kind of like shook her to the point where she saw and like, that was like kind of a slap in the face to her where she, you know, learned that what she was seeing was a fabrication. And when he showed up like that, she was really seeing what was the truth, but she's unwilling to accept it. So that's why she instantly, you know, snapped back into, and then he was fine again. Right. And that's why I think there's an argument to be made. Now, I I don't know yet, of course, we don't know. But, I've, you know, it's possible that he, it's not actually his, like, reanimated dead body. It's just more symbolized that she was yeah. starting to remember the truth as opposed to, like, that you could, being. You could argue yeah. both ways. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So uh, but I think that there's lots of implications depending on which way you go with that, because. I, you know, I, I don't know, like when you consider also that this whole reality of hers is being broadcast as an edited yeah. sitcom over the air, like that makes me wonder, like if Wanda went in and sort of created this as a part of her denial, would she also be broadcasting it out? Well, I don't think or... she's I don't think she's creating it as part of her denial. I think she's in denial and involuntarily, you know, creating it. She's she's in denial and like I said it's like the Baba Duke. She doesn't <laughs> want to accept reality and she's just pro- projecting what she wants reality to be and she has such a powerful mind that anyone who's within her zone of influence is kind of sucked in and taken under her wing and made a character in the story she's creating yeah i i guess one of the questions we have to put up on the the whiteboard is who is this broadcast for Uh, yeah is it is it an intentional like is somebody watching this like 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 is is Wanda in this circumstance for the purpose of entertaining someone like they get they get something out of it mm-hmm. or is this like yeah just an unintentional effect of I, I think it's just it's world. just her you know un, unable to deal with her pain and her loss because she loved vision and she I mean definitely has some PTSD from the whole end game thing because who wouldn't you know and I think it's this is just her kind of being in a psych ward in a room, a padded room, and she's just creating this whole reality around herself because she doesn't want to accept the true reality, which is that she lost vision. Well, I think I think a lot of that is true. And I, you know, I think that it's clear that she has a lot of control and power over this like reality bubble or whatever you want to call it. But I don't think anything that we've seen in this episode uh, rules out the idea that somebody is also manipulating her and using her for their own ends. you know, perhaps a, a Mephisto type character. Right. right? And then that's that's what I can't wait to see unfold. I love because. the idea of Mephisto just sitting in front of a TV with <laughs> eating popcorn. Or something. Yeah, yeah, he's I just flipping through the channel and he's like, oh, this show could be a lot better. Let me dip in real quick. Well, because if somebody is, in fact, kind of exploiting her trauma to get something out of her by, you know, driving her into this reality bubble, maybe it's because it's Mephisto and he wants her kids or, you know, something. But like, if that is the case, then it wouldn't surprise me that like the broadcast is actually like because of Wanda, because her subconscious realizes that something is wrong, you know, that she can't just sit in this like idealized, like, you know, bubble of denial the whole time. And then in fact, somebody is uh, doing something to her. So that tracks for me as a possibility. Like, what do you think about that, Megan? I, I think that's entirely possible. Like it's it's hard to say, you know, we're we're still only four episodes in and um, you know, I'm sure the this episode kind of changed the game a little bit, and I'm sure that subsequent episodes will continue to do so. <laughs> um 
Oh, yeah. No, I I definitely think something else is at play. Like, I don't think it's just Wanda yeah. um, dealing with her grief. Because if, if we remember correctly from Infinity War, she actually was the one who initially killed Vision um, in order to destroy yeah. the, the Mind Stone. Yeah. And it was the Time Stone that allowed Thanos to turn back time so that Vision was alive again only to murder <laughs> and like so that's that's a super traumatic thing to not only have to kill your partner but then seeing them come back to life only to be murdered again like yeah like you were trying to prevent more horrific fashion even yeah so that is a, a horribly traumatic thing um so maybe it's also partially guilt because one she played a hand in his death and then two um the thing that they were trying to prevent happened anyway so maybe there's some some guilt going on too that she has to deal with but like yeah i i absolutely think that it's not just her playing into this delusion i definitely think someone is exploiting or or taking advantage of the circumstance in some way i don't know exactly what they're getting out of it um but i feel like mephisto's a good guess i know that uh like Mm -hmm. the nerdist went into a whole theory video um after the last episode but um i don't know how that has changed a lot of those theories (laughs) yeah we talked about uh in our last episode the reasons why uh people think mephisto could be involved but so i have two other big reasons why i think there is some uh figure like that manipulating her Uh, and then i want to get both your takes on this and so the first is the fact that (laughs) um Monica Rambo, when she's laying there after at the end of this episode, when she come out, she keeps saying it's all Wanda. It's all Wanda. And there's no way at the midpoint of the series they they give away like the whole exactly. Thing. exactly. <laughs> so, a, there's no way we know everything right now. Well, B, I think that's I think that's more of the approach where they're trying to put the viewer in the the same seat of the sword agents you know oh, they're sure. kind of because that's kind of what we think we're, we're discussing it right now how we think wanda's in control of everything but we kind of think that someone else is uh manipulating it but we have no proof we have no evidence so we're kind of on the the same page as you know monica rambo slash geraldine in that scene we don't really know what's going on yeah, I, the the other thing uh, that makes me think this is okay. Vision clearly has free will, all right, and and on top because you know at the end you can tell that look he gives when she turns away and like walks away from him, like he is a little disturbed, like he knows something is going on, and then suddenly he's like all smiles again, right? So oh, he's my heart. He's actually. He's actually starting to maybe like mistrust Wanda or at least suspect something is amiss and he's not ready to loop her in. And, uh, you know, and on top of that, like. Does Wanda have the ability to bring him back to life in whatever form that he's at in such a way that not only does he have free will and, you know, a mind of his own, but from the trailers that we have seen, there's a shot where it appears that he uses his mind stone powers on Agnes. Right now, Marvel has lied to us in trailers before. Oh. Let's let's acknowledge that. However, what 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 seems possible to me, and here's where I'm going to spin some tinfoil here. It could be that she made a deal with the devil. Right. Let's let's use that framing for now. Two. Uh, have vision back in her life and to sort of have this family with him, or maybe the family isn't even part of the deal. That's just like what Mephisto or whoever wants, but like, think about it. She gets this wish or this deal or whatever that brings vision back for her, but only under certain circumstances, like maybe she's got to stay in this town and she, and then, so therefore she creates this idealized, you know, life bubble around them. Because she told Vision, he was like, well, after he said, well, we can go anywhere we want. Let's just, you know, go. And she said, no, "No." we can't. Yeah. No, we can't. It's not like she can pick up this reality bubble and move it somewhere else. Right. And so at least that's the implication. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so like there, obviously there's a lot of questions, but I, I like, it makes me think if there is a figure manipulating her, how are they doing it? Aside from like total mind control, which I'm not ready to buy into 
at this point, right? Okay. So um, I feel like maybe maybe they're like, all right, well, we'll give you vision if you stay in this town or you do whatever, you know, or we'll I don't know. I just feel like that's the part that she might not be creating herself. Like Jess, what do you think about this? Okay, well, as you were saying all that, my mind uh, took a left turn and went in a completely different direction. And we met Vision before Vision was Vision. Oh, yeah. Jarvis. He he was Jarvis. So what if what is going on is more of an Iron Man's dealing with Jarvis situation where Wanda is Iron Man? And Vision is still, you know, back in his pre-Vision days where he's kind of like just a digital being. Because that's one thing about Vision. It's like, couldn't he still be? Couldn't there be like a backup or something? Well, they established that that Shuri was not able to do that when they were trying to get the Mind Stone out. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know how that was that just something happened. that popped in because maybe it, maybe vision exists, but not in the physical realm. But I think what you mention is part of the reason that that fans do have such an attachment to vision because we've been listening to him since Iron Man one, right. basically, you since know, the start of the MC Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk about an arc. And any good computer yours is going to have a, a decent backup, you know, back up your files, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Right. Right. You know, but what, so what do you think about this theory, Megan? Um, about the the digital theory or which well, theory? Sorry, I've lost uh, track. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, my theory that that Wanda didn't bring Vision back. Vision was brought back as a way to manipulate her, basically. I think that's fair. Uh, honestly, there's so much that's like fair game. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> right, but now when you say brought back, how do you mean brought back? Well, I don't know whether, you know, he's Because if he's dead, he's dead. If he still exists in a digital form, maybe he could be rebooted and brought back. We're talking about hex magic here, buddy. Uh, <laughs> no, but but seriously, like, like I don't know whether it's literally his dead body that's been, like, yeah. infused, you know, infused I, with life again, but... I don't know if we can if we can answer that question without knowing whether or not uh, that was just a vision or right. if you know, but um, or, <laughs> or or if it like actually was his reanimated body. Um, like right. that, those are questions that like we can pose, but we can't answer just yet. Right, so. exactly. But uh, but I, I think this is are fair game. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. if he's a construct of her imagination, he's going to be exactly as strong and powerful as she wants him to be. But if there's not really a physical manifestation of him using those powers, how far can he really go to help her if it's just all up to her? But I, I think you're right, though, in terms of like he, him having his own free will. Um, yeah. I, I think there's enough within the show that we can we can justify that. If he was just a puppet to like fill in the blank for her idyllic sitcom life, then there's no way that he would be, you know, as disturbed as he has been a couple times and now make this decision apparently to like, you know, not clue her no. into the fact there's, that he there's consciousness there. Like we yeah. see it in the hurt in his eyes mm-hmm. you know, after at, at the very end there. And um, again, really great acting. Yeah. <laughs> the the good face acting. Um, but yeah, we, we see it in the hurt in his eyes and we see it when he talks to the neighbors and like, he's aware that something is happening. Yeah, He's genuinely confused. Yeah. So there's regardless of what he is, if he's just, um, a mirage, a vision, uh, a construct, whatever he currently is, he does have some level of consciousness. So I yeah. think like he's more than just a mirage, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Now, I want to get into the final segment of uh, today's episode by talking a little bit about where we think the show might be headed. And I don't have like a ton of predictions because I think that, like I said, this episode raised a lot more questions than it answered. Right. Um, and it is the midpoint of the series, okay? Because there's nine episodes, and this is episode number four, right? So there was four, uh, uh, or wait, is or the end of this episode is like the midpoint. Yeah, right? the next episode will be the middle of the story. Right. So, so first of all, 
from here on out, I think it's just going to get darker and and darker and crazier and until we get yeah. until we get to the last, you know, last few episodes where we have like whatever the climactic moments are in the denouement. So I would not be surprised if we get more MCU characters uh, making an appearance, including, by the way, Doctor Strange. I think that there is a possibility that Doctor Strange shows up because amongst the remaining Avengers, of which there are not as many as there used to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, he is uh, the most relevant choice, perhaps, in terms of what's going on because he's, you know, the Sorcerer Supreme. Um, hey, what if Loki's the one pulling the strings? No one knows. <laughs> I don't think Loki is going to show up in this show, but I think that this show will have ripple effects for the Loki show. Yeah. What's the um, next show to come out? Is it Captain America? Falcon and, Falcon? Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon yeah. and Winter Soldier. Okay. The uh, so yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how all that pans out. Um, as far as like actual predictions of where the show is going, you know, kind of a big old question mark. Um, I do think that someone is additionally responsible for what's going on um to the 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 level of blame um of like how much Wanda's to blame versus how much this mysterious person who may or may not be manipulating her is to blame you know question marks all around uh that being said i do think that um kind of what we touched on earlier i do think monica is going to be instrumental in pulling wanda out of it and i think um I think it's them connecting over over grief. I do think that that's going to be kind of yeah. pivotal in allowing Sword to understand what's happening, first of all, and being able to pull Wanda out of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know what? Even though I believe um, just as strongly uh, as, as I have throughout, you know, the last four episodes that there is somebody pulling the strings uh, that's not Wanda. I still think that even, you know, after that comes out and is made explicit or whatever, to whatever degree that she still has a pretty high chance of being the uh, villain in Dr. Strange multiverse of madness. Hmm. Uh, that's even, even more so after the end of this episode where she, you know, deals with, Monica like that was creepy well because yeah. their introduction into the MCU Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver they weren't you know friendly right off the bat oh yeah the Avengers they were the antagonists you and know. her whole life has been marked by trauma and yes yeah. you know so so I yeah that I mean that's what I think what do you have any thoughts about where this is headed Jess oh well, like I said from the beginning, I haven't watched any of or read any of the comics or watched any of the trailers up until, you know, I watched the first episode and I'm not familiar with this story arc in the comics. And I think it's fantastic. Like I said, the way they're writing the show and they're putting the viewer in the same seat as the sword agents in the show. And I really have no idea where this could go. I think you kind of have a advantage after reading the comics that this is loosely, if not uh, a little more tightly based. Uh, on there, yeah. I haven't read the one series yet. I, 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 I got it though on, uh, on like uh, uh, through the Marvel app, you can get like the digital comics yeah. of one vision and the scarlet witch where they act there's actually like a whole halloween thing in there which i'm assuming is going to be uh inspiring the next episode because we've seen all those halloween moments in the trailers right. and that'll be that'll be great and i just love the way they're writing the shows and you really have no idea what's going to happen and i have no clue where this story is going and i'm kind of coming into it blind and that's that's the way I like it. I want to be blown away next week. Mm -hmm. This week was kind of a behind the scenes episode. We got real no progression in the story of Wanda and Vision, but we got to see all the stuff that's been hinted to in the past uh, few episodes. So, no, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Um so I think we can call it there unless there's like a, a major thing that we forgot to talk about. Um, but uh, 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that uh, with there being so many open-ended questions and so much mystery, uh, it's, it is kind of hard to see where this is going, which I love, by the way. I mean, that was one of the things I loved about Lost is like I had week to week. I had no freaking clue where that show was going to go or yeah, who I, was going to die. Neither did the writers. But, um. exactly. <laughs> and but even, um, even with uh, Mandalorian, we were on episode six saying, OK, there's two more episodes. And we think all oh, of this shit's going to happen. How's it going to work out? And then it turns out it works out completely different than what we thought. But we were still totally happy and pleased with the way it unfolded yeah I think it's, they're it's kind of approaching that, that you know sort of storytelling in this show and i have no clue what's going to happen but I, the week from today i'm going to be going what the crap you know <laughs> yeah. it's going to be great yeah marvel studios has earned my trust uh so i'm i'm eagerly anticipating the rest of the season i i think it's going to get really 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 crazy by the end uh, but we'll oh, see. Yeah. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Mecha Dragon. We really appreciate it. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts or your choice of podcasting platform and give us a five star review and or rating. That really does help out the show. Uh, Megan, do you want to let uh, the folks at home know where they can find you online and what you're up to? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Scrims, where me and my co-hosts talk about horror things. And I'm a member of Rooster Team Radio, where me and my co-hosts talk about Rooster Teeth-related productions. At the time of this recording, Ruby's coming back from its hiatus next week, so that'll be a lot of fun. And also, um, I um, as I as I mentioned earlier, I am uh, also a co-host on a show called No Love Lost. It is a Lost retrospective podcast, or my co-host Will Link loves Lost and I don't and we talk about it <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent and uh, can't wait uh, until you get to the end of season three uh, <clears throat> so I can listen to that episode <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah. Say no more, say no more. <laughs> yeah. Jess, would you like to give uh, the folks at home our social media details? Oh, I sure would. Since you're obviously on the internet, you probably have Facebook and or Instagram and or Twitter and all the others. And you can find us at Facebook and uh, we're on Facebook as Mecha Dragon and Twitter and Instagram at Mecha Dragon Show. Uh, since you like podcasts, tell all your friends that they can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Castbox, Stitcher, everywhere else that uh, we look for quality podcasts. Make sure you and all your friends uh, give us a five star rating, a like, a thumbs up, a review, or whatever they got, and we'd love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or corrections, or let us know what you want to talk about in the next episode, hit us up at mechadragonshow at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And we're going to talk more about this crazy WandaVision next week. So see you there. All right, everybody. Take care. Peace. Our music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod from incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.